thank you for joining us on Love That VoiceOver, where we explore the people and projects behind the microphone. It's Dave Fenoy saying keep listening to Love That VoiceOver with Rebecca. Brought to you by the talented voiceover artist, Rebecca Michaels-Haw, also known as Love That Rebecca. Hey, all you lovely, fabulous, fantastically, wonderfully rich, creative actors and agents and casting and producers listening to Love That VoiceOver. Thank you for tuning in. This is Rebecca Michaels-Haw, your host, and I'm here with Jeffrey Umberger from Umberger Talent talent agent in Atlanta, Georgia. Hello and welcome, Jeffrey. Hi, Rebecca. How y'all doing? <laughs> Are you on Peachtree Avenue or Peachtree Street? <laughs> I'm about a block off Peachtree Street. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very good friend who lives in Atlanta, and she got married there, and I remember that was my first visit, and there were so many streets with the word peach in it. I didn't know you could have so many variations of peach. <laughs> I know. It's hard to believe we can keep up with them all. But there is. Every other street or cross street is a peach something. Yeah, <laughs> great. Well, it's wonderful to have you again. <laughs> Thank you for uh, joining us. Tell us a little bit about what it's been like for you to be an agent. I know you worked for an agency before you started your own. Let's maybe some of the trials or tribulations or learning or high points, you know, something that jumps to your mind that you'd like to share about that kind of lifestyle so that we can understand, have a window into your world. Well, I think coming from an acting background might make my my situation a little more different than some agents. I know not all agents come from being an actor first. I do have that experience of, of striving mm-hmm. to be an actor, a working actor, and feeling um, what it's like for an actor to imagine their agent's day or what their agent is thinking about them, what the agent goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of never really thought about it, to tell you the truth, as an actor. I thought agents just... Yeah, just were there for me, which is true. They are, you know, but it is a partnership and I have to bring something to it and I always try to, but I never thought about what an agent is going through, nor am I asking anybody out there to ask to think about what I'm going through, but it does help you once you're in partnership with an agency or if you're looking to partner up with an agent to find out what their business model is like so you'll know how to approach them. So in my particular case, um, I run the business uh, model pretty much by myself, uh, which is uh, to say that... I was surprised. I'm impressed. Oh, well, thank you. If it does wear on you, but that just means that you would look at me as a talent on my roster as, okay, my partner, my agent, is probably inundated with several layers of the business, and so I can't communicate but a certain way. And you would find out by asking me and us talking together what my best way is of getting efficient answers back to you when you need them. And that's with any agency, even if you're with, you know, CESD and there's tons of assistants and interns and everything else, Mm -hmm. then you you would still approach them a certain way. You find out from each agent uh, how the best to partner with them is. Um, But I do think my, my approach as an agent is more of an actor's advocate just from being an actor before and understanding what it feels like to be an actor, how sort of on the outside you feel even with your own agent, mm-hmm. how in the dark you feel sometimes, not included on feedback or 
anything. You just, you're not in the office with the agent, and so naturally there's a void of information there. Exactly. So I try to make talent feel involved and included and know that I care about them. I have a roster of about 400 people. Out of that 400, not everyone is always active and not everyone is the same breakdown. So I don't have a cattle call every time I send out an audition. So you're very individualized and special to me if you're on the roster. Okay. So I think, yes, I think that part of the business uh, maybe affected us from me being an actor first. Right. It's made me run the business a certain way, you know, with a certain heart toward the actor. And also, you know, um, understand coming from a casting background as well, um, I understand what clients are going through and their time constraints and their needs and the ease that they need things to happen. So I, I hope that that helps me be good to both ends. Um, it seems to be working okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned advocacy for your clients um, in another interview, and I actually picked up on that because advocacy is one of the key things I like to bring up in, in Love That Voiceover when I talk to my guests. In terms of understanding the, the actor side of it, you're um, also pitching the person, you know, you're looking out for them, you're protecting them, that was it. And you just mentioned 400 people and that everybody, though, has their sort of place on your roster and they're not all fitting a certain mold so that they're not all in the same category and you're going to go to different people for different skill sets or looks or sounds. Um, And to clarify, before I jump too far ahead, you are a voiceover only talent agent. We did clarify that when we first started the interview, correct? Yes, I've dropped all the nude uh, sections, and <laughs> I don't have any on camera. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do um, porn. No. He doesn't do I don't on do camera. Porn anymore. <laughs> no print, nothing, just voiceover. So I wanted to reiterate that or say it for the first time. Yes. Because that's really important. Then you have 400 people that you're going to go to that are in various categories, let's say, that are in your way of like creating this library of people that you can access for certain skill sets or certain attributes. But how hard is it to really do that? And when you are pitching, do you do it on an individual basis? Or do you say, I've got five people that can fit that? Or how does that work? Well, when I get an audition invitation from a producer or a casting, I'll, I'll look at who they're looking for and sometimes, especially if you're new on my roster, I'll sort of send you everything just to give you an idea of what I'm being asked to do and to give you an idea of what's coming. Um, so I'll cast a little wide roster-wise um, to get you seated. Uh, but then I will sometimes even just cast wide because I can be... I, I, the people that I represent I know are, are ultra-flexible, and the specs are sometimes malleable. So I have a little bit of play there so I can cast wide, and once I get the amount of auditions I get back, you know, casting people will only listen to maybe 30 total. And if there's four roles, that's, um, they don't want to hear more than 10 maybe voices each. So if they're listening to 10 of mine and 10 of all the other agencies around, they're not going to want to hear too many. Right. And actually, on um, this one we got in today, they said one or two. <laughs> so but okay. out of 400, I've got to submit one or two. Um so it's difficult, but you know when you hear it back, whether this talent has hit it naturally or if you know their abilities and if you give them adjustment reads before you submit it to give them a second chance, if their abilities are going to get them there, 
with the adjustment read. So a lot of whittling goes down. That is not to say that each talent that sings in auditions has to fear that all their auditions are ending up on the floor. I always ask for uh, re-reads or retakes or re-approaches if I think you can really get there. And um, generally speaking, uh, clients are not overwhelmed too much by the numbers that I've been giving them. I give them a, a pretty good amount of uh, auditions and it's sometimes pushing the limits. But I don't put anybody on there that sounds like another person or that doesn't sound like they're worthy of, of making it. Um, right. So I, I feel like the roster itself sort of speaks for itself. I just, you know, I can tell right away if it's a, if it's a hitter or a misser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and so I work with the talents to, to try to give them the chance because they're the actor. They're the one that can adjust. And they're the ones that maybe I misunderstood the specs or maybe they did or maybe specs have changed since the uh, release of the, of the casting. So. And I know all of those things can happen. Yeah. They've happened to me. So. <laughs> yes, it happens all the time. It really does keep you on your toes. And it's frustrating because you'll put a, a nice audition out and send it to your agent. And then the agent will say, oh, things have changed. They want you to be a dog now, not a cat. And so you have to really you have to just keep going with it. And it's a numbers game because so many right. people are auditioning across the country. Well, and, and uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're going to pick up on that idea. We're going to take a quick break from the interview for some important messages. Sign up for special notices of Love That Voiceover at lovethatvoiceover.com. Just go to lovethatvoiceover.com and sign up. This is a big thank you shout out. Thanks to all of the following people I'm naming personally for sending in questions that got incorporated in one way or another into the interview all episodes with Jeffrey Umberger. Thanks to... Bob Sauer, Eric Fox, Ed Victor, Laura Bidnarski, Dan Walks, John Bailey, Scott Rains, Fran McClellan, Mo Rock, Larry Hudson, Rick Riley, Mike McGonigal, Dave Cavoisier, Tasia Valenza, Tom Pinto, Ellie Ray, Anthony Pizzelli. Thanks. So do you know the story about how I was looking for improvisation online for voiceover actors? And how I didn't find it anywhere. I turned over rocks. I went into old archives. Well, really, there was nothing there. And I wanted time to practice my character voices. And develop new ones that I didn't even know I had yet. So, basically, I created voiceover improvisation online on Skype. And yes, it's audio only. And there's a lot of cool people already doing this. You're invited to the party. Hey, hop on over. Get those neurons firing even better and in different ways. <laughs> it's like working out in a different way. It's voiceover improvisation workouts online on Skype from your own home studio. It's pretty effing cool. Cray cray. Go to vo-improv.com. Twitter at voimprov. All right, that's enough. Back to the show. And we're back. Um, picking up on that idea, a lot going on. Um, there's a huge volume of activity and time frames that are short. You know, I wanted to talk about sort of the economics from a, a 10,000 feet level. You know, you're a talent agent representing about 400 talent. Um, there are many talent agents like you, in a way, um, with more large or smaller lists, perhaps. Um, mm -hmm. And then there are now 
people who call themselves agents that are doing like online casting, uh, some legitimate, maybe some not legitimate. And then there are what we call, what we in the industry refer to as pay-to-plays, which are another kind of place for casting that you're familiar with, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Yeah, So when you see all this activity, there are a zillion questions I can ask you right now, but I guess I wanted to get your your perspective on just the overall state of things in being a talent agent in voiceover at this time with the environment that I just described and anything else you want to elaborate on in that area. Well, uh, I guess my... My referenceable history with voiceover goes back 10 years, and I've seen so much happen, as you can imagine, in 10 years, just based on how we get auditions, who we work with, and who's inviting us. So it's sort of a double-edged sword. We're now being invited nationally as if we are national agents, because it it no longer matters that we're only in L.A. to do the big jobs. And so we're uh, viable candidates for those bigger network jobs or promo jobs or narration jobs, announcement, announcing jobs. So it's opened up for us, and it's also closed down for us because we've been shut out by the sheer numbers of people. And I think the system, we just had a, a big convention here in Atlanta, the, the VO 2014. Right. Um, and we had a panel. I was on a panel with a pay-to-play personnel and a talent and educators and coaches and other experts. So we were, it was a very uh, friendly, contentious panel. <laughs> <laughs> Got it, because yeah. Because this is a volatile time right now with this topic. There are some that handle the pay-to-play, that are running the pay-to-plays, that are handling it a little bit better than others. And I feel... Um, as a talent first, I don't want to have to pay to get an audition. That, to me, goes back to old Jeffrey learning in the 1980s what I was always told not to do. Don't pay people in advance. Exactly. If yeah. your agent gets you work, then you pay them 10%. So I'm old school in that way. Um, I'm also new school and like, hey, I think there's room for all of us, and we're not, you know, the clients are going to these people. They're not being driven to those people with guns. They are being lured by rates that I believe, uh, in general, could be cutting down our system of our rate structure. Um, So not to blanketly say that pay-to-play is to blame for rate structures being destroyed, but it's a player in that game if the people involved are not being responsible. So I, I call everybody to be responsible with our rates regardless of whether you're going to a pay-to-play or not. Have your minimums and don't go below industry standard minimums. That's what we can all fight for. At that point, I don't care if you come to an agency or if you don't come to an agency or if you are my talent and you're with the pay-to-play. I think I want my talent to work, so I want them to be free to do that. I just want everybody to be responsible with rates and contractual, you know, stipulations so that we're guarded against reuse and usage period. Yeah, there was a there was I was just going to throw in here one of the the comments that I got because I was going to be talking to you was that a lot of jobs this person feels were about $500 a few years ago this person perceives are now going for about $125 because of all of the he called it undercutting um oh, yeah. 
And, and 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 it really depends on where you want to stand on the line, whether you want to call it something derogatory or whether you're going to call it just the reality of a commodity in a way, like a voiceover talent kind of could be considered um, because of digital technology really changing the landscape that we're all playing on. Yeah, it is. Yeah. How much do you think prices have changed, if we could just talk on that particular aspect? Rates have changed, let's say. Um, the perception that rates are deplorable that uh, that used to be normal is more prominent. So, people's producers coming on on here and saying, uh, coming on the scene and saying, "Wow, that's a really high rate." And I'm thinking, five years ago, that was a standard rate, and it should be double that now. So, you your perspective is off because if you're coming into it in the digital age and you're noticing that rates are lower because they have been beaten down. So, yes, we've lost step with what yeah. should be. And yeah. if we all at least follow union uh, scale guidelines and don't go too far below that and negotiate, you know, as you need to, to keep the job without uh, prostituting yourself, then I think you're okay. But we have definitely seen rates be challenged more and um, the expectation that they need to be lower. However, we still win the battle that fair rates are not bad rates. And so it just takes an, an agent or a producer or someone on the side of, of fairness and keeping us all afloat, wording it right. So then the client doesn't feel like, well, I'm just not going to be told to pay 500 if I'm being offered 100 They have to be convinced that 500 is not a gouge. It's a fair rate, and it's probably an older rate. So you're getting a sort of a discount by nature of that. Um, I, I do feel that, um, for instance, Voice Bank, um, Sometimes there you can tell when a producer has moved over from uh, a pay-to-play site. Mm. Sometimes at that pay-to-play, they don't get the level of talent there because a lot of people are beginning, and so they don't get a lot of the, the talent there. So they'll move over. They've moved over to a voice bank. Yeah. Um, but they're asking these deplorable rates, and I have to be, and I have done this before, where I have quoted a rate that would be suitable for me to send my talent on if they agreed to it. And then I, the actual audition has been reissued with my rate uh, adhered to, and so it's education in a way that's friendly. So I don't, I don't just boldly say, "Look, I wouldn't work on your job if you pay me." <laughs> I right. say, if you come up to a professional rate, this is what my professional talent would work for at a minimum. I would love to submit if it's agreeable. And sometimes it's agreeable. Sometimes I don't hear back. Sometimes I just, I get a curb. No thanks. So that's the advocate in me, though. I can't, I can't prostitute the talent on it. Just, there's no reason for it at all. We're not gouging at all. Yeah, and I have to say that if I put myself in your shoes and I, I put on my sales hat, let's say, as a salesperson, mm -hmm. and I say, you know, I want to earn a certain amount and feel like I don't have to sell 500 jobs. Instead, I could send sell 10 or 100 jobs and still earn the same amount of money. It's kind of value-based as well. And mm -hmm. what your job is partly, as well as the rest of us, um, but as an agent, part of an agent's job is partly that education to say what the value is in the actual rate because they might have no perception, some perception, a bad perception, uh, whoever this person is that's looking for talent. And part of it is about explaining what the, what professional really means and mm -hmm. um, in the terms of, of what their perspective needs to be or what you think it could be, right? Well, 
Also, she put in in place if a if a rate is so ridiculously low that even with me, um, I'm not raking the dough in right now as an agent. And so, uh, if I can look in my own pocketbook and find an amount of money to pay the actor a fair rate, then I know a corporate 500 company, a Fortune 500 could company could do that instead of me. Unless it's a charity, I usually don't send my talent out for a rate like that. And it lets them know that, okay, I really must be asking a bad rate if he's thinking I'm, this is a charitable rate. Yeah, part of it is, is, you know, are you trying to just like, um, and I'm saying this in general, not personally you, but I want people to think about it from an agent's perspective, you know. Part of it is, you know, as an agent, I want to represent really good quality people. And I'm able to do that if I know who they are to a degree and can speak to them or speak to the quality of the people I represent in general to potential clients that are going to hire my talent. And therefore, um, if I get a, a de- what I consider a decent rate, a professional rate for the services, then my commission on that, which is how I'm earning, is going to be decent. And I have to work less because I don't have to do it so many times to have so many jobs to equal a certain amount of other better quality jobs. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. You know, it's price as well as volume, and you'd rather have higher price and lower volume, and we all would, you know. That's right. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, at this recent conference you were at, it was definitely an issue, and it's kind of all over the place because the digital realm has really shifted everything, and it is causing change in the traditional world of voiceover and, let's say, the established territory. Um meaning agencies and clients and even the union. And I don't know what they're doing about it because I'm non-union, but mm-hmm. in essence, um, it's affecting everything. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break. Until next time, thanks for listening to lovethatvoiceover.com. Lots of love to you, you sexy, beautiful, adorable person. Take care.